بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم رحمد کریم اما بات الحمد للہ جنائی از دا ٹوینٹی فرسٹ آف آگسٹ ان دا ایئر ٹو تھاؤزنڈ the unparalleled status of our beloved messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam and the last thing i mentioned was the divine gift which allah the almighty and glorious blessed him with and that is he could see from around his blessed self hafiz ibn hajar asqalani he said something even more amazing in fath al-bari volume 16 page 21 Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he possesses such a unique quality which enables him to perceive knowledge about the future and by which he sallallahu alayhi wa sallam can see whatever is inscribed on the lawhim mahfuz, i.e. the divine tablet. So let's look at this. So I mentioned yesterday that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam he could see with his blessed heart. And then I mentioned that Allah blessed him with an incredible amount of awareness, i.e. of the unseen realities. So Hafiz ibn Hajar Asqalani, who was a Amir al-Mu'mineen of Hadith, he said that he could see whatever is inscribed on the Lohim Mahfuz. So what's the Lohim Mahfuz to insult your intelligence? It's the Divine Tablet. In Sayyid Muslim, the Prophet said, 50,000 years before Allah the Almighty created the heavens and the earth, He wrote down what will occur until the end. What, will, what has and what will occur. That writing down is on the preserved tablet. It's a special register. Nothing changes, not even an iota from it. So Hafiz ibn Hajjad Asqalani said, Rasulullah can look at the lohim mahfuz. So don't forget, I'm not talking about the physical eyes, what Allah has blessed him with. And because of this, he has knowledge of the future. Why? Because he's on the lohim mahfuz. And we're going to discuss that in a few days, inshallah. If you literally go into what he talked about in the future, you realize that he's reading something, sallallahu and of course it's the lohim mahfuz. With regards to his blessed hair, Imam Razin, rahmatullahi he said in his Al-Khasais, a hair of his, sallallahu alayhi wa fell into a fire, yet it did not burn. Subhanallah. A hair of his, sallallahu alayhi wa fell into a fire, yet it did not burn. Also recorded by Imam Sayyuti, rahmatullahi in his Unmudaj Al-Labib Fi Khasais Al-Habib. A sample of the special characteristics of the beloved sallallahu alayhi wa for the intelligent, page 160 of the New English translation. So, according to this report, the hair of Rasulullah could not be burnt. Why? Because everything is forbidden to the to punishment. Allah has blessed the Prophet Even the earth is not allowed to eat their bodies upon their passing. So, the hair of the Prophet, the fire did not touch it. Sallallahu alayhi wa This blessed hair was used by the illustrious companions for blessings, for shifa, cure, for
for victory on battlefields and for protection in the grave, etc. I don't want to go through all these reports, but it's all in the authentic reports. <laughs> Blessings, Sayyid Bukhari mentions that the hair was used in a silver container, water was poured into it, they drink, they get cured. Um, Shafa, obviously, victory on battlefields. This was Khalid bin Walid. The hadith is in Tabarani, authentic. He had it in his blessed cup. And once in a fateful battle, he lost his cup. And even during the intense encounter, he started looking for the cup. And when the people questioned him afterwards, he goes, I would have given my life finding this cup because it contains the hair of Rasulullah And by its blessings, Allah Ta'ala gives us victory. So look how humble he was. He goes, it's because of Rasulullah that Allah Ta'ala's blessing is with victory. So it helps on battlefields. It protects you in the grave. Why? Because the Sahaba willed that it be placed in their grave, under their tongue, etc., etc. So all of this is part of our teachings. So again, it's so erroneous to think otherwise. Why? Because the companions taught us this. His smile, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, would literally dazzle those who were present. It's not a figure of speech. Abu Huraira said, when he وسلم, would smile, the very walls would shine with light. When he وسلم, would smile, the very walls would shine with light. This is recorded by Imam Bazar, Imam Sayyuti in his Ummudaj Al-Labib Fi Khasais Al-Habib, page 160 of the New English Translation. So when his blessed teeth would emerge, there would be nur literally radiating of the walls. In a more famous report, Abdullah ibn Abbas said, when he would speak, something like a light would emanate from between his two upper front teeth. When he would speak, something like a light would emanate from between his two upper front teeth. This is recorded in Tirmidhi. Tabarani, Darimi in his Sunan, number 58, Imam Suyuti in his Unmudaj Al-Labib Fi Khasais Al-Habib, page 160 of the New English Translation. So there was a small gap in his upper front two teeth and the nur would emanate apparently from between that gap. So when he would speak, he would literally dazzle people. How often do we utter the phrase about an individual with a million dollar smile? He brightens up the room with his smile. So that is a figure of speech. <coughs> because if you say, do you mean he actually lit up the room? No, I don't mean that. It just means that when he smiles, he like it. you feel like, mashallah, brother's putting me to coma, brother. <laughs> like when you yawn, the Prophet wasalam, said, shaitan is attacking you. And if you make a noise, he laughs at you. So cover your mouth and don't make a noise. And also it's infectious. <laughs> so the Prophet he literally would dazzle the people. His blessed smile would lighten up, i.e. everything. So note again, everything about the Prophet, whatever angle you look at, he was unique. With regards to the pure remains of his call of nature. So think about that. What is basically impurity? So it's feces, urine, semen, according to some of the ulama, and blood. 
literally all of those things were pure for the Prophet So how strange is that? So here's the proof. In Tabarani, it is Osat, volume 8, page 21, Hafiz Abdul Haq, Muhaddith Dahlawi, Rahmatullahi, it is Jazbul Qulub Ila Diyar Al Mahbub, absorption of the hearts towards the abode of the beloved, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, page 145 of the English translation. Sayyidina Jabr, radiyallahu he said, Rasulullah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, once took some water and saw two separate date trees at a distance away. He thereupon said, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Ya Jabr, radiyallahu, go to the trees, inform them that Rasulullah orders them to come together. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. in the report. Why did Rasulullah not just say it himself? So he was always wanting to increase and to benefit others. So he told Jabr, so imagine what a strange command. Go to those two trees, tell them that Rasulullah orders them to come together. So Jabr said, as soon as I had relayed the prophetic command, subhanallah, they instantly shook their roots from the ground, rushed towards him, وسلم, and formed an enclosure as if their roots were now one. So Jabr is trying to explain, he, seeing is not like hearing, because they literally came out of the earth and they, they scuffled or they shuffled towards him and they gave him protection. He then went in between and relieved himself, after which he made wudu with water I had for him. Then the report says, I then thought to myself, if only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allows me, I would consume his remains. Stop in the report. What did Urwa ibn Mas'ud say when he was sent as a spokesman on behalf of the unbelieving Quraysh he said I have not seen love like the companions love Muhammad this is in Bukhari and Muslim I've been into the Persian emperor's courtroom the Roman emperor's courtroom he goes this is something else this report is clarifying imagine you know we can't help it if only I was there. Okay, you're there, brother. Rasulullah's had a call of nature. What's going through your heart? I'll tell you straight. I'll just, I'll be in, in awe of the miracle. Jabr is now thinking, when Rasulullah leaves, I'm going to consume his remains. Thus, I went to the spot where he, sallallahu alayhi wa had relieved himself. But I was amazed to see there was absolutely nothing there. Not even any trace of discharge. Indeed, the earth upon which he sat was absolutely clean. Thus, I approached him respectfully. And I said, Ya Rasulullah, did you not just relieve yourself? The Prophet smiled and said, yes. But the earth is ordered to swallow the discharge of the Prophets. He then ordered وسلم, the dead trees to return to their original place, which they obeyed as if a master commands his servant. So look how beautiful. Jabba, that was his intention. He thought, I'm going to take some of the remains of the Prophet. 
Now, what does that tell you about their belief? Bohali, Musliman, right? That their belief was it's pure. You can't consume filth. Was that in his radar? Did he say, no, this is just mobah? You get this impression that forget that. He goes, if I get the opportunity, I'm going to consume it. But who beat him to it? The earth. And he's gutted. And then he asked the Prophet وسلم, and the Prophet doesn't told him. And then he ordered the trees and they obeyed. Because goes, I saw the trees start moving again. So this is one report. Our beloved mother Sayyidah Aisha because she said, I used to enter the privy straight after Rasulullah and subhanallah, I smell nothing but a beautiful fragrance. Recorded by Hafiz Qastalani in his Al-Mawahib Al-Dunya, Hafiz Abdul Haq Muhaddith Dehlawi in his Jazbul Qulub Ila Diyar Al-Mahbub, page 146 of the English translation. So what does it mean, privy? There was no toilets. It meant he would go out for a call of nature. Maybe there was a place where they would go. Hazrat Aisha, look how interesting. She goes, I used to enter stay after him. Why did she do that? So obviously you could say, well, she also maybe wanted the call of nature. She wanted to follow the example of the Prophet. But when she went to the spot, she goes, there was nothing but a beautiful fragrance. So what else do we learn? There was not even a smell, you know, a scent of, you know, somebody had relieved himself. In fact, the opposite. It's like you're walking into a rose garden. Though she once asked, Ya Rasulullah, when you come from relieving yourself, we do not see any discharge from you. Why is this? The Prophet said, Ya Aisha, are you not aware that the earth swallows up what comes out of the prophets, so that none of it is seen? Recorded in Dalakutni. Ibn Sa'ad in his Tabaqat, volume 1, page 170 to 1, this wasn't known to companions. Jabir had to ask. The Prophet explained to him, our mother asked, nobody more intimate with a man than the wife, even she didn't know. And the Prophet said, don't you know Aisha? So now this, Subject for more details about the swallowing of the earth of the discharge of our beloved messenger in particular, refer to Ibn Hiban in his Al Majruheen, volume 1, page 298, Abu Nu'im in his Dalai al Nubu'a, number 364, Behaki in his Dalai al Nubu'a, volume 6, page 70, Imam Sayyuti in his Al Khasais al Kubra, volume 1, page 128 to 9, Hafiz Zurqani in his Sharh al Mawahib, volume 5, page 540 to 4. Hafiz Yusuf Bunuri, Rahmatullah. So who is this? So Hafiz Yusuf Bunuri, Rahmatullah. He was a major scholar of Hadith of the Hanafis. Um, he passed away, I believe, in the late 20th century. He had a famous work called Ma'arif as Sunan, and he mentions in there there is a consensus in all four schools to the purity of Rasulullah's waste matter. So this is important. So you got the reports. I mentioned a few. There's many others. But how have the ulama looked at these reports? We can't insert our own views. 
there's a consensus. Now, what, why is that important to highlight? Because Rasulullah sallallahu said, my ummah will never agree upon an error. It means it's a divine sign. Hafiz Yusuf Bunuri, rahmatullahi, he said a consensus has been reached on this matter. All of the four schools. So you can't even argue. Well, maybe the humble is different. Or maybe the, the Maliki is respectfully different. Because all of them have agreed. So why is that important to highlight? Because people question this. And they'll come out with these you know, remarkable statements. Why aren't these hadiths in Bukhari? So that again shows the layman. Because that's like saying everything must be in Bukhari. And Imam Bukhari himself said, I've not recorded all the authentic reports. Then he goes, okay, why isn't it in the six? And the response is, is your deen based only upon the six famous collections? And if the response is yes, then you actually take yourself out of Islam. Why? Because there's a mutawatir hadith, which is not in the six. The Prophet said, in Abu Ya'la, it's mutawatir. And Shaykh Albani says it's mutawatir. The Prophet said, the prophets are alive in their graves and they are praying. That's not in the six. It's mutawatir. You reject that report, you're either out of Islam or you're bordering on kufr. So if you're foolish to say it's not in the six, that doesn't mean anything anyway. The response should be, are these narrations authentic? And the scholars have said yes. Some have said who are more strict, there's slight weakness. But cut into the chase. What have the imams said of all the schools? And they've said there is a consensus to the purity of Rasulullah's ways matter. There is no difference of opinion. Now what's tragic about this? This has become a comforting. Right? This has become a comforting. Because this is what the Sufis believe. So our response is, I'm not bothered. If it's the truth, we're not bothered who believes in it. If it's the truth, we have to believe in it. If the Sufis have believed in it, good for them. But some people have a problem with that. Right? And the response is, this is now an illness. A religious illness that a person has. Astaghfirullah. The noble companions, they would convey all of these realities to their young children. What was the impact? Abu Rimtha, his son. So Abu Rimtha was a, was a senior companion. His son was a young companion. His son said, I trembled, I started shaking upon seeing him for the first time. I used to think that Rasulullah was a being that did not resemble mankind. This is in Nasai, number 1573, Sahih. Abu Dawood, number 4065, Tirmidhi, number 2812, Al-Bidayah. Sahih Hadith. What was Abu Rintha imbibing into his son that made him make this statement? Look what the statement he made. Imagine, a Sahaba's son, himself a Sahaba, I used to think that Rasulullah was a being that did not resemble mankind. Explain that. A lot of people get confused over this. Are you going to accuse a sahab of going overboard with regards to describing the Prophet? If you accuse a sahab, then you've become instantly misguided. The companions are upon guidance. 
What was he teaching his son? The things that I'm talking about. When you hear these things, don't forget, he hadn't seen the Prophet. He was still a child. The father was telling him his his feces is pure. His blood is pure. His urine is pure. His sweat is pure. You know, whatever angle. And then the son, what did he start thinking? You know, he's not naturally thinking this. He's not a human being. But then the father, look how beautiful, at the appropriate time, he took him. And his response was, he started shaking. Look at how well the father had imbibed his son. Now what's truly tragic about that? We haven't been told that. All we're taught is just, you know, bare facts. What do I mean by that? He's the last prophet. He got a revelation in the cave at the age of 40. He struggled in Makkah. Then he fought a few wars in Medina. Then he died. I'm not being funny, but what's special about that? Is that what the Sahaba are telling their children? I want somebody to come and say, I actually thought he's not a human being. But of course, the companions had the honor to see him. And because I realized he was, he's a human being, but something about him, I, I couldn't get my head around. I started shaking in his presence. And that is where the great cutoff point is now. If you look at a lot of the books of Sira, they don't discuss these matters. So you could argue, that's not their domain. Fine, you're talking about the life of the Prophet. But can't you interspace it with a few of these? So a person is alerted to it. So obviously you're going through the Prophet's life, but you know, for example, let me give you an example. In the Battle of Uhud, Abu Sa'id al-Khudri, his father, Malik, he drank the blood of the Prophet. The Prophet was wounded and he actually took his blood and the Prophet said, the fire of hell will not touch you. So you could be talking about the Battle of Uhud. Is it difficult to mention this report? Straight away a person goes, hang on a minute. What did the Sahaba do? He drank his blood. How do the Prophet was injured? So isn't blood straight away? You've got their attention. You're still talking about the Prophet's life. But when you go through Uhud, is that mentioned? So note, and this is so sad, and this is why the scholars now are saying that when you discuss the seerah, there should actually be these things mentioned. So we are alerted to that. And then you get the Christians, and you can't blame them. Bichari, what do they say to us? What miracles did your prophet do? And then we have a little snigger at them. Why, why are you sniggering? We've done a lousy job. They can't see anything special about the prophet. Why? Because we're not even educating ourselves. But if they actually come across some of these reforms, they'll think, this is something amazing. So note again, we are, we're spiritual children. We're saying, La ilaha illallah Muhammadur Rasulullah. We don't know what Muhammadur Rasulullah is. It's just a phrase that's coming out of our mouth. Astaghfirullah. Another important point. It is very informative to note that the almighty and glorious subhanahu wa ta'ala, he often quotes who? He quotes the kuffar, the unbelievers. And what do they say about their prophets? Now think about this. Allah Ta'ala is not quoting the prophet. He's not quoting a sahaba. He's not quoting an angel. He's not quoting Baba. He's quoting a kafir. And he's done it many times. What do they say about their prophets? Look how interesting. It's in the Quran. For instance, in Surah Hud, Surah 11, verse 27. Allah, the Almighty and Glorious, quotes the unbeliever as saying, 
manavak illa basharam mithlana we see in you nothing but a man like ourselves hang on a minute why is allah taala quoting a kafir he must be guidance for us what is the kafir saying manaraka illa basharam mithlana we see in you nothing but you are a man like us is allah taala vetting that or is he condemning it he is highlighting this is a major failing of their understanding of the prophets how tragic believers say that now he's just a man hang on a minute brother that's what the kufar said about their prophets where does it say that oh my god is in quran brother shaitan what does he say astaghfirullah shaitan only looked at the human form of adam alayhi salatu wasalam he just looked at the outward refer to surah 7 verse 12 surah 15 verse 33 surah 17 verse 61 why is he only looking at the outward the vital lesson the true believers must differentiate between the human form and the essence of the holy prophets and messengers alayhi salatu wasalam for otherwise what is the difference between ourselves shaitan and the unbelievers so where is the critical difference are they human beings 100% yes they human beings but we don't focus upon that but we testify they human beings 110% why are you so what are you focusing on them we're focusing on their essence so a person starts scratching his head he goes i don't understand the reason you don't understand because you're not being taught this when you talk about the purity of the prophets alayhi salatu wasalam are you talking about their human form or their essence their essence if you don't focus on the essence you have to ask yourself the question what's the difference between you shaitan and the kafirs according to the quran we see in you nothing but a man like ourselves allah taala tells you that they're saying that you go to the sahaba is that what they talk did abu rimza say to his son he's just a man don't get excited <laughs> and yeah how often are you know abu billah you know you don't find fault with muslims but this is a cardinal breach can any muslim utter those words right in fact they rebuke you because why are you talking about this why are you making him something more than a human and look how they're talking you're thinking look brother you know you better stop speaking the way you're speaking allah taala is going to take you to task how do we know allah taala to finish takes people to task for these statements Shaitan is he a kafir? Yes. Why is he kafir? Who did he disrespect? Adam alayhi salatu wasalam. Did Allah Taala give him a, a a way out of kufr? He's doomed. Think about that. Flip the coin. Who was Pharaoh's wife Asiya radiyallahu? She said in the Quran the coolness of our eyes when she saw Musa 
as a babe. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa said, Allah Ta'ala gave her iman because of that statement. If Firon had endorsed it, Rasulullah said, he would have become a believer. This is in Nasai uh, Al-Bidayah. Now think about that. Firon died as a kafir. What was the cause of it? People don't realize what the cause was. It was disrespect. If he had only shown just, you know, he didn't even have to say, I, yeah, the coolness of my eyes. All he had to say was, yes. Rasulullah, he would have been a believer. Imam Qurtibi therefore highlighted in his tafsir, respect, veneration for the prophets gives you guidance. Disrespect, looking down, leads to unbelief. So where do you think shaitan is going to focus his energies? <laughs> shaitan knows Allah Ta'ala is not going to take any prisoners when it comes to his prophets. Another question, just to add this very quickly. Why did Allah the Almighty and Glorious destroy nations? So people without thinking, what do they say? They say, oh, because they, they disobeyed. They disobeyed who? Because they, you know, they didn't believe in their prophets. If you go to any reputable scholar and you say, is that the reason they were destroyed? He will say no to you. Because, but, but they, they were committing shirk. No, they weren't destroyed for that. Because what were they destroyed for then? This is what caused their destruction. When they threatened their prophet. <laughs> When they threatened their prophet, Allah Ta'ala destroyed them. Look at the difference. There's a huge difference between what you're saying. Disobedience, they were destroyed or they threatened. When Rasulullah was forced to migrate, when they threatened him, who was the first to understand the significance of that? Abu Bakr. What did he say? They destroyed. They forced Rasulullah to leave. Then what happened? Badr, Uhud, Khandak. We all kicked off. Kufars are dying left, right and center. And only with the royal pardon on the day of the conquest were they spared. So what does that tell you? Allah Ta'ala doesn't take prisoners when it comes to the prophets. If you threaten his prophet, you're doomed. Remember that fool, what did that fool say to the Prophet I fattened my horse, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> the Prophet said, Inshallah, I'm going to kill you. Then what happened? He lost all bodily functions. Right? He went, oh no, Muhammad is going to kill me. And then the people goes, what, you said you're going to kill him? He goes, but he doesn't lie. And I'm reading this and I'm thinking, what's the sort of a conversation is this? Imagine, you don't believe he's a prophet and he said to you, I'm going to kill you and you believe it. And what happened? It was the day of Uhud. The prophet got a spear and he threw it at this sh- you're coming on horseback to get to the Prophet, meaning he was a coward as well. Coming on horseback, the Prophet's injured as well, sallallahu alayhi wa And the arrow, the, the spear, sorry, that the Prophet threw, it grazed him. That's what it did. It knocked him off his horse. He said, Muhammad's kill me, Muhammad's kill me. And the people, because he just got a graze. On the way back, he died. Hafiz ibn Taymiyyah said, Rahmatullah Rasulullah only ever killed one kafir on the battlefield. That was his mercy. Hafiz ibn Taymiyyah, and I thought about that. Of course he fought, of course he's the bravest, of course we know this. But what makes it absolutely mind-boggling, he didn't kill. 
He's Rahmatul Alameen. So when Ali, you know, shared the Khuda, the line of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, because when the matter became serious, we sought protection behind Rasulullah. If Ali is saying that, you have to add to that, yes, they were behind him, but he wasn't killing. How brave must you be to engage with the enemies without killing them? But one he killed because the food threatened the Prophet. So the Prophet goes, Inshallah, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> Why? Because he doesn't speak from his own desire. You threatened me. Don't you realize when you threaten a Prophet, what's going to happen? So he goes, Inshallah, you're dead. And he was dead. And even Abu Jahl didn't, you know, <laughs> Abu Jahl, they asked him, you know, one of the, I think he was Mughira ibn Shu'bah, he goes, just between me and you, Abu Jahl, you know, one to one, is he a Prophet? So Abu Jahl looks around first. He goes, yes. <laughs> so Mughira goes, then why are you fighting against him? And then he says, the Banu Makhzum and the Banu Hashim were like two race horses. When they did something, we challenged them. Now they've got a prophet. He goes, how are we going to challenge that? He goes, I'm never going to testify to him. So even Abu Jahl goes, look, I know, but I can't. And he took them all to Badr, Firon, <laughs> took them all to, to, to help like Firon. So what's strange about the Kofar? And what's really ironic, the Kofar now think they know more about the Prophet. Mm. What do you all know that the Kofar didn't know in the time of the Prophet? <laughs> so what I mentioned today was again discussing important aspects with regards to our beloved messengers that allowed us. And not again endless wonders, truly, truly amazing things which are mentioned about our beloved Salah nowadays. Are there any questions you'll ask? Subhanallah bihamdi ismanaka Allahumma bihamdika ashwalai lahi illa anta astaghfirika adhu balayka adhu billahi minu shaitan jim subhanahu rabbika rabbili zari amma yisifun assalamu alayhi wa rahmatullahi wa alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen bismillahi rahmanir rahim wal asr in the sound of the husr ladhina amunu wa amilu salihat wa asr al-haq 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 wa asr al-